It was the feast of the dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in Solomon's porch. And the Jews gathered round about him and said, How long wilt thou hold us in suspense? If thou art the Christ, tell us plainly. The reading this morning from John chapter 10, verses 22 through 24. I read from the American Standard Translation of 1901. And here we learn that the Jews who had been looking for the Messiah for a long time want to know from Jesus, are you he? Messiah. What does that word mean? It's a jawbreaker for a lot of people to contemplate and really get their mind around the idea of a word that means anointed. The Hebrew word is Mashiach, and you can see how Messiah could come from that word. When you translate that Hebrew word, Mashiach, into the Greek language, which the New Testament used, it comes out Christos, Christ. And generally, it will have the definite article in front of it, the Christ. I think a lot of people think Christ is Jesus' last name, don't you? But it really isn't. It's what he is. He is the anointed. He is the Messiah. What what does all that mean? Well, in Genesis 3 and verse 15, you'll remember that God said to Adam and Eve that woman is going to have a seed that will bruise the head of Satan, give him a death blow from which he will never recover. In Genesis 12, verses 1 through 7, we learn that that seed will come through the lineage of a man at that time by the name of Abram. His name is later changed by Jehovah God to Abraham. In Genesis 49 and 10, we learn that not only will he come through the seed of Abram, but he will come specifically through the tribe of Judah. He's going to be lawgiver. He's going to be ruler. He's going to have the ruler's staff in his hand. And the obedience of the peoples shall be unto him. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, 700 years before it ever happens, Isaiah says not only is he going to come through the seed of the woman, through the seed of Abram, through the seed of Judah, but he's going to be born of the virgin. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. You see that E-L on the end of that word in your Bible? That's one of the names for God in the Hebrew. El, the mighty God. He shall be called Emmanuel. Turn over two chapters to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, and we learn that he is going to wear names that only one who is deity could wear. Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Father of Eternity, literally, the Prince of Peace. Wow. Only names that deity could wear. And he's going to be a ruler and a reigner over a kingdom. The kingdom of David, Second Samuel 7, that is going to be built or established by Jehovah God. When we get to Jeremiah 31 and 22, we learn that His birth is going to be a new thing in the earth, created by Jehovah God, in which a woman shall encompass a man. Now you get to Matthew chapter 1 in your Bible. The book, the Biblos, 
of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judah. Right down the line, just like God said in Genesis. Judah begat Phares and Zerah of Tamar. And all the way down, the lineage goes until you read of Mary. And it says of Mary, of whom? It doesn't come out quite clearly in the English, but if you looked at the gender in the original, that's feminine. Of whom shall be born the Christ? Not of man. Not of Joseph, her earthly husband, no, but of Mary. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his Mary was espoused, we would say engaged unto Joseph. Before they came together, before they lived together as husband and wife and sexually consummated the marriage. She was of child, if you mark in your Bible, of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph being a righteous man, a just man, not willing to make her a public example, which would indicate he was a conscientious, compassionate man, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, that tells you he was a contemplating man, an angel of Jehovah appeared unto him, an angel of the Lord, and said, Joseph, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit, and she shall Bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Jesus, that's a play on words there. Notice, Jesus means save. Call his name save. Now look at the tie-in. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all of this has come to pass that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the prophet. That's Isaiah 7.14. And you have a quotation there. The virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. And here it's interpreted for us. God, that's the A-O part, with us. All the way God said. Now these Jews come round about. And they say to this Jesus of Nazareth, Are you the Christ? Are you the anointed? Are you the Messiah for whom we have been looking? Ladies and gentlemen, Christ and his gospel are so important that we must speak them plainly to the people of our world and to ourselves. I'm sure farming is important in this community as in many. Are you aware that George Washington, our first president, was a great farmer? In fact, his love was farming, and Washington was fairly successful and wealthy. Washington believed that wealthy farmers ought to do crop experimentation. And his reasoning was the less wealthy, the poorer farmers, don't have the money to experiment, and if it doesn't work, lose a crop. But those of us who have been blessed, who are more wealthy, have the money to be able to do that, and we ought to do that in order to find better ways of farming and better productivity. And here's what he had to say about getting a farmer to change methods. You ever tried to get a farmer to change methods? Here's what Washington said about it. The common farmer will not depart from the old road. 
till the new one is made so plain and easy that he is sure it cannot be mistaken. So Washington said, if you're going to get a farmer to change methods, you better present it to him in a way he knows that's plain, that's easy to understand, and if I do that, I won't be mistaken. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's the way we ought to present the Word of God. And God being my helper, that's what we shall do in our brief time together this week. Tell us plainly. Tell us plainly. Where do you get your authority in religion? If I had to underscore one word that was the most important word in the religious community of our day, it would be that word authority. Where do you get your authority for what you do? Now, old timers used to call that book, chapter, and verse. You ever heard of that? Where do you get the book, chapter, and verse that says you can do that? Now, the Bible teaches in three ways. It teaches by explicit statements. That is, the Bible would just, we would say in South Georgia where I grew up, just flat out tell you. That's what you are to do or you can do that. Second, the Bible teaches implicitly. That is, it does not explicitly say it, but it implies it and you infer it from what has been said. You do that every day when you read the newspaper. And third, the Bible teaches by approved examples. Here are examples of people who did this with God's approval and thus in a universal generic way that shows this was an example for us. And where do you get your authority? Well, right here in John 10, 22 to 29, Jesus said to these Jews, now I wish I had time to go through the Old Testament with you today, but are you aware that in the nation of Israel there were basically two Israels? Paul discusses this in the book of Romans. I refer to them as national Israel. That's those that are born of the seed of Abraham. And they're Israel by birth. Within that broad Israel, there is what we might refer to as spiritual Israel. Now, those are the folks who are interested out of the nation of Israel of doing what God said do. The rest of them are interested in doing what they want to do and trying to make it look like that's what God said do. Does that sound familiar in the religious world in which you and I live? Now, the national Israel are the ones here who gathered around the Christ and wanted to know, tell us plainly if you are the Christ. They were not interested as to whether or not he was anointed. They are the ones with the scribes and Pharisees all the way through the life of Jesus trying to trap him and trick him. And finally, they put him on a cross. In John chapter 1 and verse 12, John said it this way. He came unto his own, literally his own thing. And they that were his own, that's national Israel, received him not. But unto as many as received him, gave he the right to become sons, your translation may say children, of God. Do you know what the of God there means? It means belong to. Children who belong to God. What does it mean to belong to God? That means I've submitted to Him and His will settles it. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You ever seen that? That's about as much error as you can cram into a bumper sticker. That is the premise on which the religious world operates. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Let me tell you something. Here's what the Bible says. God said it. That settles it, whether I ever believe it or not. 
Now that's what Jesus says in John 10 to these Jews. He says, I've done the works and you don't believe me. I've told you who I am and you don't believe me. I've confirmed who I am with a miraculous and you don't believe me. You remember when Peter stood up with the eleven on the day of Pentecost and here's the sermon they preached. Beginning about verse 28, 22 of Acts 2. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God unto you by mighty works and signs and wonders, which God did by him in the midst of you, whereof you're all witnesses. Now what is being said there? God proved that Jesus is his son by the works that Jesus did. Well, Jesus said to these Jews, I've done many wonderful works, and for them you do not criticize me. And they picked up stones to stone him to death. And he said, why are you doing that? And they said, not for your works, but because you claim to be the Son of God. They missed it. You see, the works proved he was the Son of God. Here's the way John recorded it in John 20, 30, and 31. Many other signs, that's miraculous, therefore did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that. That little, that word that comes from a little three letter word in the original, Enah. And many of the times it means in order that. And that's what it means here. These are written in order that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now that explains to you why Jesus performed miracles. To prove that He's the Son of God. Well, He said to these Jews, I've done these works. You don't fault me for them, but you don't believe what they show. Well, what do they show? I'm the Son of God, and therefore I'm operating by the authority of heaven. Now, how important is this matter of authority? In Colossians 3 and verse 17, Paul began this way, Whatsoever. Now, there's nothing omitted from whatsoever. That's all inclusive. Whatsoever ye do, in word or in deed, do A-L-L. If you mark in your Bible, that's the biggest little word in your Bible. All. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what does in the name of mean? You remember in Luke 24, 47 to 49, Jesus said, that repentance and remission of sin shall be preached in my name. Remember in Acts 2 and 38 when those people interrupted the preaching and they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, Repent you therefore and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I lived in Georgia, I became a certified law enforcement officer so I could do my work as chaplain. And I had to work as a reserve officer. And in Georgia, if I'm working for a department, I have the right to say stop in the name of the law. You know what that means? By the authority of. If you can say that legitimately, you have all the authority of the law behind you. If you do whatever you do in word or deed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that means you're doing it by His authority. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. By His authority. That means I can find somewhere in His Word, either explicitly, implicitly, or by approved example, 
that I can do what I'm doing. If I can't find that, ladies and gentlemen, I can't do it. And it doesn't matter how popular it is or how much I like it or my family likes it or my community likes it or everybody else likes it. You see, Jesus is either the Christ, whom they ask Him if He is, or He's not. And if He's the Christ, He is so by the authority of God. And that's what the works proved. Remember Matthew 28, 18, when He gave the apostles what we call, the Bible never calls it this, we call it the Great Commission. Go ye therefore, and our translations generally say, make disciples. Literally, go ye therefore and disciple all the nations. Baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I want you to look at verse 18. Upon which he predicated that mission to the apostles. A-double-L. Authority. King James says power. That word means authority. All power, all authority hath been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Now on the basis of the fact I have the authority to do it, now I'm sending you forth to make learners to disciple all the nations. Now that's why when you read Mark 16, 15, go ye therefore and preach the gospel literally to the whole creation. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that disbelieveth shall be condemned. You're preaching that, teaching that on the authority that has been given to Jesus Christ. You remember in Matthew 21, verses 23 and following all the way through verse 32, that some of the delegation of the Sanhedrin came to Jesus and said, by what authority doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? Remember that. Now, they were upset with him, and they were wanting him to quit. And they thought they would make it an authority matter. Number one, by whose authority are you doing this? And number two, who gave it? Jesus said, I'm going to ask you one question. If you'll answer my question, I'll answer your question. What he meant by that was, if you answer my question, you'll answer your own question. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or from men? Now, if you mark in your Bible or if you take notes, those are the only two choices for authority. From heaven or from men. I want to show you something. Are you with me? If I leave the authority of heaven, the only thing left is man. Now that means if I don't have Bible authority for what I believe, teach, and practice, and the way I live on a daily basis, then I can go no higher than myself for that authority. Let me illustrate what I mean. I wouldn't trade what the Bible says for what I feel right here in my heart. You ever heard anybody say that? Now, if anybody tells you that, you might ought to call 911 because they may be having a cardiac arrest because this is the Bible heart. I've ruined our young people. In VBS, we sing, I've got the joy, joy, joy up in my heart. This is the Bible heart. I want our boys and girls, and hence our mamas and daddies, to learn this is not the Bible heart. But you hear that all the time, don't you? I feel it right here in my heart. Jim grew up in a little community where a fellow ran a grocery store. His name was Camp. 
And he had a boy by the name of Franklin that worked with him. Franklin preached, his granddaddy preached, his daddy preached. And Franklin said one day, a fellow came into that store. Now, there may be one or two of you here old enough to remember this. Franklin said there wasn't a supermarket where you went around and got what you wanted, so you'd give the man a list, and he'd go around and collect it for you. Sugar was five cents a pound. Franklin said, I was talking to this fellow about his salvation. And said, every time I'd show him what the Bible said, he'd say, yeah, but I feel like I'm saved. And Franklin would say, well, let's see what the Bible says. He'd say, I understand that, but I feel like I'm saved. And Franklin said, that went on for a whole hour. Every time I'd show him what the Bible said, I feel like I'm saved. And finally, when it was, he said, I'm going to have to go. But he said, I need to get some things before I go. And one of the things he wanted was five pounds of sugar. Well, Franklin said, I took a bag and dipped the sugar up out of the barrel and put it in the bag, set it up on the counter and started tied up. He said, aren't you going to weigh it? Franklin said, no, I feel like that's five pounds of sugar. He said, well, aren't you going to weigh it? He said, no, I feel like that's five pounds of sugar. He said, no, I want you to weigh it. He said, I'll tell you what, you tell me how many pounds of sugar you feel like that is, and that's what I'll charge you. He said, no, I want you, I want you to weigh it. And Franklin told him this. He said, for a solid hour, we've talked about your soul and all you can say is, I feel like I'm saved, and you won't trust your feelings on five pounds of sugar. You see, authority goes a lot deeper than what I feel. Or you hear somebody say, well, you know, I think that's all right. You ever heard anybody ask somebody that? Well, what do you think about it? Well, that and a dollar and 49 cents will get you a Diet Coke somewhere. What do you think about it? Well, it doesn't matter what I think about it. doesn't matter what you think about it. The only thing that matters is, what does the Bible teach about that? See, I think is not authority. I hear parents sometimes tell their children that, well, I think that'll be all right. Well, now, wait a minute. Set that child down, get your Bible down, and show that child the basis for your making that decision. You do two things. Number one, you make sure what you're telling them is right. Number two, you show them that you operate by a higher authority than you. I remember telling our children on numbers of occasions when when I'd say, uh, no, you can't do something. You know what the normal built-in response to no, you can't do something from a child to a parent is? Why? Why? I was in a meeting two weeks ago. We had a lunch right after services, and I started out the door to go back to the motel, and this little girl was standing there. She said, where are you going? I said, I'm going back to the motel. Why? I said, well, that's where I need to go this afternoon. Why? And finally, I just had to leave her saying, why? You say, why? Okay. Now, Mom and Daddy, why can't I do this? And I remember sitting our children down on occasion and saying to them, I want to explain something to you. God created the home. And in that home, He put parents. And He put parents in charge. And parents have to decide what children can do. Now, I've told you, you can't do this. I'm going to show you the passages that I've used as a basis to make that decision. And I would read to our children out of the Bible where I got that idea. I tried to do two things. Number one, I wanted them to know God put parents in charge of the home, not children. And number two, I wanted them to know God was in charge of parents. And we operated by His authority. Jesus said, you answer my question, I'll answer yours. They, they muddled around. You ever seen anybody muddle around because they knew the answer, but they were chicken to tell it? 
Why, they said if we say from God, then he's going to say, why did you disregard it? And if we say from man, the people are going to stone us because they know and consider John to be a prophet. You know what they said? We can't tell. I want to get to heaven and ask Jesus, did he laugh out loud when they said that? I know he had a sense of humor. We can't tell. Oh, old southern boy would have said, you can do it, you just won't do it. Jesus said, neither tell I thee by what authority I do these things. What's the implication of that? I'm doing these things by the same authority John did them. And John did them by the authority of heaven. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Paul said, all scripture, the King James reading, every scripture inspired. Now, that's a jawbreaker word, isn't it? Theonustos. Wow. What's that mean? Well, theos is the word for God. And neustos is the word for breath. Pneuma, breath. Spirit sometimes. God breathed. Every scripture breathed by God. That is, authored by God. See, man didn't write the Bible. God did. I would ask students, and I still ask students, every time I start a book of the Bible somewhere, my number one question is, who is the author of this book? And the answer is always the same. Sixty-six times, if I ask that question, the answer will always be the same. Second Peter 1.21, the Holy Spirit. He's the author. Now, I may or may not know who the human writer was, but I know who the author was. Every scripture inspired of God is also profitable. For doctrine, that's teaching. For instruction in righteousness, literally discipline, it could be. For doctrine, for reproof, for discipline, which is in righteousness. In order that, there's that little word again. The man of God may be, now the King James says, perfect. Teleos. What's that word mean? Complete. He may be complete. Now, depending on your edition, if you're reading from the King James, depending on your edition, your text next says thoroughly or throughly. Depends on which edition you're reading. Furnished. What does that word mean? Completely. Completely furnished unto every good work. Now, what is it that furnishes me unto every good work? It is the Word of God. Tell us plainly, by what authority do you act in religion and life? By the authority of the Word of God. If what I teach you this week is not book, chapter, and verse, used correctly. Now, Matthew 4, 1 through 11 proves the devil can quote the Bible, but he misapplies it. Quote it correctly. He just misapplied the application. So if my usage of the Bible this week is not correct, then don't you believe a word of it. If it is, it will meet us both in judgment. So we do what we do by the authority of the Bible. Tell us plainly, is there more than one church? You see, many are honest and sincere when they ask that question. And they don't go on and ask the question completely like we really should to be accurate. What they mean by that is, is there more than one church that God accepts or that pleases God? Well, let's see what Jesus said about it. Matthew 16, 13 to 19. When they came into the parts, literally the King James says coast, but there aren't any waters around there, so it's, it's not the idea of what we think of coast. When they came into the parts of Caesarea Philippi, they asked the disciples, asked Jesus, saying, Who do men say 
Or Jesus rather asked the disciples, who do men say that I the Son of Man am? Now who do they say I am? That's the common opinion. The common opinion is you are Elijah or Jeremiah or you're one of the prophets. Really, they don't know who you are. Who do men say that I am? Well, that didn't accomplish a whole lot, did it? Because every answer was wrong. So Jesus moved from the common opinion to the crucial question. Whom say ye that I am? Now you've been with me. You've seen the miracles. What's your conclusion? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art, now here it is, the Christ. That's what these folks wanted to know in John 10. Peter said, You are. I know you are. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now look at Jesus' response in which he confessed his deity. Blessed art thou, Simon. Now our translations say bar. If you're reading from the New King James, you may have something like son of. That's what bar means. Blessed art thou, Simon, bar Jonah. That is, son of John is the way that will come out in John chapter 1. Son of John, blessed are you, for flesh and blood have not revealed this unto thee. You didn't get this from man. But, that's my favorite word in all the Bible, my Father who art in heaven. Now look at the conclusion. And I say also unto thee that thou art a little pebble, a little pebble Peter. And upon this ledge rock on which Jerusalem was built, the truth that I am the Son of God, which you've just confessed, I will build my possessive pronoun, church. But that's not what Jesus said. That's our English word church. Don't have time to trace it. Wish it did. But you just look it up in your dictionary and you'll find that it came from Old English through Middle English, cross-channel over into Germany. Our word church comes from a German word, Kirk, and it means house. That's not what Jesus had in mind. Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia. Two words there, preposition ek, which means out of, and a verb form, kaleo, which means to call. Jesus literally said, I'll build my assembly. I'll build my congregation. My called out assembly. That word... It's used about 114 times in the Greek New Testament, 112 times. In our English translations, it's usually translated church. In the 19th chapter of the book of Acts, you have an ecclesia that's a mob that's been called out to stone Paul to death. Same word. But the context has to tell for what you're called out. Jesus said, I'm going to call you out to me. Matthew 11:28 to 30, come to me and away from everybody else, and I'll give you rest. So Jesus said, I'm going to be on my church. That's singular, dear people. He did not say, I'll build my churches. He said, I'm going to build my church. He's the head of the church. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. There's one body, Ephesians 4 and 4, and that body is the church, Colossians 1, 12 and following, 1, 24 specifically. So how many churches are there which God accepts? Your Bible says one. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in the sermon today. These Jews came about Jesus and they said, tell us plainly whether thou art Christ. You know, I really hope this week that that's what you want. 
I hope you're honest enough to want to be told plainly. And not only want to be told plainly, but you're honest enough to accept plain talk and make the proper application and save your souls.